Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor's Study. The question we ask for this program is, how can I be a more loving person? How can I love some of these people I can't stand? Jesus said, love your enemies. Well, how do you do that? Uh, Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. I think that's hard because we're all sinful. We love us so much, we don't want to love others. I mean, now and then, for instance, um, it's as if God taps me on the shoulder and says, I want you to go talk to that person about their sin. You know about it, but you've never said anything. Gratefully, that doesn't happen a lot because that's hard on me. I hate confrontation. But it's as if the Lord says, well, are you willing to get out of your comfort zone for love's sake? So um, let's do this. Let's go through the famous love chapter that you always hear at weddings, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Would you open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 13? And I want you to take a test. We're going to define the word love with lots of adjectives. And I want you, we're going to put a little fill in the blank at the end of each one. I want you to test yourself to see where you're strong and see where you're weak regarding love. Let's pray. Father, we do want to pray that you help us know how to become loving people because it's not something we can do on our own strength. So, Lord, teach us now how to love. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul the Apostle is writing to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting at verse 1. If I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions to feed the poor, and I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Here's the first lesson about love. Motive matters. Notice, this man is doing everything right. He's speaking in tongues. He's moving mountains. He's giving possessions to the poor. But if you don't do it out of love, if your motive isn't right, it doesn't profit you anything. Your motive matters. It is said that years ago, a young man was in front of an audience reciting Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. Four score and seven years ago, that government of the people, by the people, for the people should long endure. Afterwards, an old man comes up. Well, son, good job, but I was at Gettysburg. I heard Lincoln give the Gettysburg Address. And he didn't do it the way you did. He said, government of the people, by the people, for the people, should long endure. You stressed the adjectives or prepositions. He stressed the people. Your motive matters. Why do you do what you do? 
so people will see how wonderful and loving you are? If that's your motive, it doesn't count. Is your motive for the love of God, for the love of people? Then it counts. Somebody told me of a certain preacher who can really preach, but he treats his staff like dirt. Some, something is wrong with his motive. I heard of an interesting thing to do, or heard of an interesting thing to do with 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. There was a certain woman that had problems with Mexicans. She was kind of a racist, so she started to do this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love for the Mexicans, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, but have not love for the Mexicans, I mean, maybe you should pray 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, and add the words, for my mother-in-law or for my boss at work, but maybe that's the thing to do. Next, I want to now take the love test. We're going to go through the Bible's definition of love, and I want you to rate yourself, one being awful, ten being great. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient. Literally in the Greek, the word patient there means long-suffering, a long-holding out before exhibiting anger. I want you to rate yourself. One, you're awful. Ten, you're great. How's your patience? I'd even, I'd even get out a pencil and I'd write it down. Put down the word patience and then one to ten. Abraham Lincoln had an enemy by the name of Edwin Stanton. But because he was the best man for the job, Lincoln made Stanton his secretary of war. Stanton said, I don't know why people travel to Africa to find a gorilla when they can find him in the White House. Well, Stanton was there in the death room when Lincoln was dying. And after Lincoln died, Stanton said those famous words, there lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. Now he belongs to the ages. And Lincoln's patience with Stanton won him over. So rate yourself, how patient are you? Next word, verse 4, love is patient and kind. The word kind there literally means to be useful, to be gracious. Rate yourself on that. One being awful, ten being great. How kind are you? I want you to hear this. God, in his inscrutable wisdom, sent to a Christian home an afflicted baby boy. The question was, should he be placed in an institution? But after prolonged prayer, the family unanimously decided little Tommy would stay at home and be their special object of love and care. When he turned 13, God took little Tommy home to heaven. But it was the unanimous feeling of each member of the family that in lavishing love upon Tommy, they each had become more like Jesus. How kind are you? Sadly today, there aren't many little Tommies anymore because they're killed. Did you read this in the news recently? Some doctor in Iceland bragged about the fact that they have not had one Down syndrome child for five years in Iceland. And God bless Patricia Heaton, the Christian actress who stood up and said, yeah, that's because you kill them all. The reason there are no Down syndrome babies in, in Iceland is because they kill them all. And you know, in America, it's something like 90% of Down syndrome babies are aborted. 
That's not kind. I saw this couple at the state fair walking around with these black t-shirts and in large white letters it said, abortion is mean. <sighs> Rate yourself, how kind are you? Next words, verse 4, love does not envy, which simply means it's not jealous, it is not displeased at the success of others. So, rate yourself on that. How jealous and envious do you get? Let me tell you this. Uh, one of my best friends' name is Glenn. I've known Glenn since he and I were 11 years old. We grew up together. And in junior high and high school, we were very competitive. We'd play one-on-one -on -one basketball. Then we'd play risk. And then we'd play Stratego. And we competed, competed, competed. Well, he's married and has kids in Omaha. He's a Lutheran pastor. I'm in Minneapolis. I'm a Lutheran pastor. I go home to Omaha. I go over to see Glenn. He takes me on the tour of the multi-million dollar addition to his church. <laughs> and this is huge. And I'm feeling just a little green. And finally I said to him, <clears throat> well, I have a TV show. <laughs> but you know what? When you start feeling jealous, you know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to praise God. God, thank you that you're using Glenn to reach people for Christ, so much so that he's having to build a bigger building. And when you find yourself feeling jealous or envious, praise God for the other person's success. <laughs> so rate yourself on that one. Verse 4, next part of the definition. Love does not boast. That means does not put oneself forward, does not brag. Psalm 20, Proverbs 27 says, let another lips praise you and not your own because you know how difficult it can be to be around people who brag about themselves so rate yourself on that do you brag a lot verse 4 love is not arrogant literally in the Greek it says love is not puffed up you know what I think of when I hear the word arrogant the dictator Mussolini of Italy World War II do you remember how he would puff his chin up and his chest up and, and marched through the crowd, just arrogance embodied, and then he was hung. How arrogant are you? Uh, 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 rate yourself on that one. The next one, love, verse 5, is not rude. That means does not act unbecomingly, does not have shameful conduct. Rate yourself on that. How rude are you? You know, I get a lot of emails from people because of this TV show, and most people are great. But some people are so rude. There is a con I'm a conservative Lutheran pastor. There is this conservative Lutheran pastor who just blasts me in emails. And after about three or four of these, I wrote him back, and I said, you know, I don't mind you disagreeing with me. You have to be so rude. <laughs> and I'm glad I did it because he wrote back and apologized. But how rude are you? I can remember once, years ago I preached a sermon, and a lady from my church gave me a phone call. Pastor Brock, can I come in and, and talk with you about something? And I said, sure. And she came into my office. Oh, can we pray first? Oh, Lord, help me do this right. I don't want to be uh, in any way hurting of people. She was so loving. And then she criticized something I had said in the sermon. But she was so loving the way she did it, there's no way I could, I could not hear what she had to say. How rude are you? Another Sunday, I preached on the Bible's teaching that wives be submissive to your husbands. 
Well, there was a woman there that day that she was a visitor to our church. She did not want to hear that. And I remember shaking hands at the door. She grabs my hand. That's the most miserable sermon I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> well, rate yourself. How rude are you? Yeah, we have to say difficult things to people, but do you do it in love or with a growl in your voice? Next, verse 5 says, Love does not insist on its own way. Literally, it means does not seek its own. Rate yourself on that. How pushy are you? How insistent are you that you get your way? That's not loving. Next, verse 5, it says, Love is not irritable. That means it's not easily provoked, it's not touchy, it's not sharp-tempered. The first time I ever preached on the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, was at the end of two months with 30 college students on a Christian trip to Europe where we were all in close quarters for two months and my were we sick of each other. And so I decided, well, let's do the love test and see how we're doing. And I preached on this text, but you know what I remember? There was one college student by the name of Norm. Christian guy, loved the Lord. He was unflappable. I mean, so easygoing. People do stuff, and he just let it you know, wash off his back. And, and I did see him get angry once or twice, but overwhelmingly, he was so slow to anger and so good-natured. And I, I remember thinking, I want to be more like Norm. <laughs> So rate yourself on that. Do people have to walk on eggshells around you? Are you touchy? Next, verse 5 says, Love is not resentful. Literally, that means love does not take into account, does not keep a book. Do you keep a book on people? One of my earliest memories, I was maybe five or six years old, and it was a scary time in Nebraska because Charles Starkweather and his girlfriend, Caroline Fugate, were going around in Nebraska killing people that was on Starkweather's list. Starkweather had this list of, what, maybe 12 people, and he was going around Nebraska and killing them. And I remember as a kid how kind of spooky that was. Do you keep a list on people? L let me tell you what helps me not be resentful. A couple hundred years ago, King Louis becomes king in, in France. His enemies flee Paris. They know they're dead because they've heard of a book that he has with his enemies, and next to each enemy's names, he puts a black cross. So they flee Paris only to discover they've been pardoned by the king. They can come back home. And one of them says, but king, we heard about that book with your black cross next to everyone. And he said, yes, the reason I put a black cross next to my enemies is to remind myself as my God died for me to bring me forgiveness, he expects me now to turn around and forgive those who hate me. So what helps me not be so resentful? If somebody barks at me or sends me an angry email or whatever, I pray, God, I can't do this in my own strength and power, but in your strength and power, you told me because you forgave me all my sins through the cross, I have to now turn around. So Lord, in your strength and power, I forgive Mr. So-and-so. How resentful are you? Rate yourself on that. Next, verse 6. Love does not rejoice in the wrong, but rejoices in the right. The next lesson, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but with the truth. You know, rate yourself on that. Do you rejoice in wrongdoing? 
In other words, do you watch some of these awful TV shows where they parade human dysfunction and families are fighting and screaming and they got to get, you know, bouncers to keep people apart and some of these awful, I mean, that's kind of rejoicing in the wrong. You're kind of getting a sick pleasure out of how, how messed up other people are. Be careful what you watch on TV. And the next verse 7 says, love bears all things. Now this one is difficult to figure out. Literally it means love covers as a roof, which can either mean you bear up like a roof under, under sorrows, or it may mean love covers over other people's offenses. You don't bring other people's offenses up in public. One of those two. <laughs> next in verse 7, love believes all things. That means you're not always suspicious of others. You know, now and then you see someone, you can kind of see it in their eyes, they're always suspicious of everybody that they're after, after to get them. No, no, uh, love believes all things. You're going to try to believe the best about everyone, and if they let you down, then you realize, well, they're sinners like I am. Love believes all things. Next in verse 7, love hopes all things. That means you refuse to see failure as final. You're going to hope all things. I'm going to trust Romans 8.28. God is causing all things to work together for good. How hopeful are you? And then it says, love endures all things, which means when disappointed, love continues to wait. Maybe you've got a difficult spouse, a difficult boss, where you're going to continue to wait. You're going to continue to wait till the second coming, if you have to, and love this person. Love endures all things believes all things. Next words, verse 8, love never ends. That means whatever little thing you do, that will last forever. I've shown this many times on TV. This is a little plaque on my wall that I got at a garage sale. Old plaque, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When you do something out of love for someone, that'll last forever. Love never ends. And last point, look down at verse 13. Now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Here's the last point. Love is the greatest of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. All right. Now I want you to look down through that list. I hope you rated yourself on all that. How'd you do? Did you pass? <laughs> well, I got to admit... As I look through all those characteristics, I didn't do so well. But you know what? If you realize you didn't do so well, that's a good sign. It shows the Holy Spirit is opening your eyes. I want you to listen to this. O. Hallisby was an old Norwegian pietist from, I don't know, maybe 100 years ago, and he wrote this. Listen carefully. Many believers pray for the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but they do not seem to think that their prayers are answered. For they experience something they had never expected. They pray for the fullness of the Spirit, but receive instead a fullness of sinfulness. And they do not see that this is the fulfillment of their prayer. According to the words of Jesus, the Spirit shall convict of sin. The first and surest sign of the fullness of the Spirit is therefore a sensitive conscience, which feels even the least sin as bitter pain. This constantly annoying feeling of uncleanness and unholiness is what distinguishes a true Christian from one who is worldly and lukewarm. And the true Christian always goes beneath the cross of Christ to be continually cleansed anew in his blood. 
So in other words, if you realize I'm not that loving, that shows the Holy Spirit's at work. All right. Well, let's close with this. So how can I be a more loving person? And my point now, and this is the last point, you can't. <laughs> we are so sinful and self-centered, I can't be a more loving person on my own. But here is how you can become one. When I was a teenager, I had an aquarium in my bedroom. I had about seven of these little round green turtles. They were legal back then. I don't think they're illegal now because they spread disease. But when I was 16 years old, you could have those turtles. And you learned that when their shell would get soft, they would die. So I learned that I had to periodically take these turtles outside into the sunshine and let them soak up the sun. And when they soaked up the sun, their shells would get hard and they live longer. All right, how can I become a more loving person? The answer is you can't, so here's what we need to do. You need to spend time in the sun, soaking up the Son of God, reading your Bible, spending time in prayer, confessing your sins, going to church, serving the Lord. Just soak up the Son of God, and the more you spend time with Jesus, the stronger you will be to love others. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insight to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. If you have a question about a Bible verse or a situation in your life, we'd welcome you sending it to the pastor study. You'll see our address at the end of the program here, or right now, and we'll put those questions together for another show. So feel free to do so. Pastor Brock, I heard a Christian say once that they refuse to forgive their husband. Can a, true, can a person truly be a Christian and say that? I think you can have a period of time where you fall, but if that's your whole life, you're never going to forgive your husband. Jesus said, my Heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins if you do not forgive the sins of others. So I, I know a pastor's wife who told me, I'm not going to forgive my husband. I didn't realize the, some of the stuff he was doing, which was horrible. But if that is her whole lifelong settled attitude, I think that shows she's maybe not saved, just because of what Jesus said about this. You know, but hurt can make people do things sometimes yeah. too. That and it's a process. It's a process. And I think she is. I, she has come around to my knowledge, but yeah. Well, you know, I've tried to forgive someone who's hurt me, but I still have bad feelings mm -hmm. for them. How do you get rid of that? You know, I don't know that we necessarily... I think I can forgive someone without having happy, fun feelings for them the rest of my life. I mean, Jackie, if I've been hurt by... I mean, I'm thinking of someone right now. Do I think of happy, fun thoughts when I think of this person? No, but I know in my heart I have forgiven this person because I told the Lord, Lord, I can't do this on my own, but you command me. So in your strength and power, I forgive this person for what they did. And I have. And I pray for their soul. I pray for their salvation. That, again, you know, we can't control our feelings, but that doesn't mean you haven't forgiven them. Well, you know, I think, too, that people forgive someone for what they did to them, 
they don't associate with them any longer right. and does that mean they haven't really truly forgiven or is it our right to break I, off an association i think if you're if there's a certain person that continually hurts you i don't think it's a sin to stay away from them why not you know I, that doesn't mean you haven't forgiven them uh, now it's a pro here's what bothers me though jackie when you hear of two people in the church that aren't speaking anymore that's that's way too over the line you always got to I mean, when I hear of someone, I heard of someone that in the church lobby, good morning, Mr. So-and-so, and he just wouldn't even look at, you know, just something's wrong there. So you've got to at least be civil with people, even your enemies. Okay. Well, I think some people have the wrong feeling of who is their enemy, though, too, mm -hmm. and lose the thought of loving. Yeah. So. Yeah. Sometimes people we think are enemies are our friends because they're willing to tell us the truth. <laughs> okay. Does loving my enemies mean that I have to keep getting hurt from them? You know, no. Again, I, Jackie, I, I think uh, I can think of a very difficult situation where I had to call the police on a dad who was, was violating. Ask you that question. Yeah, go ahead. Is it ever? You know, you called the police on someone. Yeah. Is that loving? All right, I'll tell you. I when I was a pastor years uh, at our church years ago. I got a report of a guy that came in and in front of another girl in our church molested his little girl. Out of love, I picked the phone up and called the police. And they did their, their investigation and, and couldn't nab him on anything, though I think they thought he was guilty. So I called him into the office and in love confronted him. I didn't know if it was true, but it sure seemed like it was. He threatened to rip my face off and uh, it was awful. But I didn't call him into my office because I, 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 that was hard for me to make that phone call. I did it out of love's sake for him and his little girl. And finally, after a year, it all got exposed, and yeah, he was guilty. And uh, the police didn't do anything? They couldn't, they couldn't find the evidence, yeah. Okay. Um, what's the most important thing a person can do to be a more loving person? Mm -hmm. I guess that's my last yeah. question for you yeah. today on this. You know, Jackie... I am not loving on my own. I'm a sinful, self-centered human. For me to love my enemies, no way that's going to happen. That's only going to happen if the Holy Spirit in me overcomes my flesh, overcomes my sin nature, and helps me love. And that's what I meant about soaking up the sun. I, if I spend time with Jesus in prayer, Bible reading, if I'm in Christian fellowship, getting in a Bible study, that really strengthens me so I can love some of these people that I can't stand. <laughs> Well, I hope everybody's taken the lessons that you've given them today. Mm -hmm. To love one another yeah. is not an easy task, no. but it's worth the challenge. Amen. Because God will bless you for taking yeah. that challenge. Yes, he will. So God be with you this week. We pray that he'll grant you his richest blessings until we're together again next time at the Pastor's Study. Thank you for watching the Pastor's Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.